Today, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. By the way, I chose that hymn that we just sung because um, we truly need today homes that are built firm upon the Savior. And we need godly fathers and mothers who will teach God's Word, will be that discipling ones that uh, disciple their children in the Word of God. Uh, we desperately need that today. I believe as the home goes, so goes our nation. And our nation's not doing so good, so I wonder sometimes if our homes aren't doing so well either. We truly need the Lord in our hearts. And for moms and dads that would follow the Lord and seek to honor his word. Well, if any of you here today enjoy tennis, you will probably know that the U.S. Open in tennis is played at Flushing Meadows, uh, New York. But did you know that in 1981 there was a big tournament that was uh, held in Minnesota? In fact, it was in northern Minnesota to the gigantic town of McIntosh, about 900 people. It was a doubles tournament that was held. And at that time, I was home for the summer. I had gone to Bible school. And for the first time, I picked up a tennis racket because they had a tennis court there. I'd never played tennis before, so I I went out and got a $15 tennis racket. I didn't realize the $100 ones were a lot better than the $15 ones. But I began to play with students at Bible school and didn't get, I wasn't real good at it. But then during the summer, here this tournament was held, a doubles tournament, and and I'd been playing tennis with some of the guys in our church at Trinity. And so I asked one of the guys if they would like to join me in, in a doubles tournament. And this doubles tournament could be two men or two, two women or it could be a, ma- a man and a woman, could be a, a husband and wife that would take part in this doubles tournament. And so I asked Steve Moen, I don't know if you know Steve Moen, but he would be the brother of uh, Pastor Jerry Moen. And Steve, Steve had played less tennis than me. Uh, you want to sign up for this? He said, yeah, let's, let's do it. And so there were a number of teams. There were two brackets And so on that Saturday, early in the morning, we began playing, and we won our first tournament. And then the next one, we won that too. I was just shocked. I mean, it must have been been divine because we weren't that good. And we kept winning till finally we won our bracket. And we came to the championship match, and we were faced against two, a husband and wife who were very athletic they had played tennis and doubles many years. They, he was uh, excellent in basketball. She was excellent in volleyball and basketball. Mike and Kim Roisland, they be, later became coaches in our, my own school of Macintosh. And I looked at Steve and I said, well, it's been a good, good ride. <laughs> um, and so we entered this championship match. And by the way, there was a prize money, too, to the winners. So I thought, hey, we could maybe win this. But when I saw who we were going to play, I thought, it's been good, Steve. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so we entered the match. And when the dust was settled, Steve and I, we won. <laughs> In fact, we destroyed them. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't believe it. And we got our names in the paper. We got our picture in the paper. Now, it wasn't the Star Tribune. It was the Mackinac Times. 
And we won the prize money. We each got $10. <laughs> hey, don't laugh. That was, that was my one shining moment in tennis. <laughs> but only Steve and I <clears throat> remember that we won that tournament. If I were to travel back to Magnus today, if I were to ask somebody, do you remember when we won that tournament? They'd say, what tournament? Because they never held it again, by the way. We couldn't defend our championship. That was it. Nobody remembers, just Steve and me. But isn't that true in life? I mean, how many remember who the most valuable player was last year in the NFL? or the NHL, or the NBA, or who remembers who was the Minnesota Teacher of the Year? (laughs) Nobody, except the person who won, and maybe some family members, but beyond that, it's very quickly forgotten. But dear friend, there's one title that is bestowed by God, that has incredible eternal significance. It is a title that forever enlarges the significance of the one who carries it. The title does not require a vote, does not require a degree or a bank account or friends in high places. It belongs to many people who have, who have never held any other title before. You see, if you belong to Jesus Christ, you have already been given this royal title but also the sobering responsibility that goes with it. So let me read these verses today from our scriptures, and I want to see if you can pick out what that royal title is. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through through Christ, and gave us a ministry of reconciliation, Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, If you are a believer here today, if you've been saved by God's grace, do you know on the basis of our text today what that royal royal title is that God has given to you? Now, if you've said ambassador, you're right. (laughs) That is the the royal title that God has given us. I I love our, our magazine of the FLC. It's called the Lutheran Ambassador. The, um, The singing team is called the Ambassadors. And I want you to know that if you're a believer here today, you are also an ambassador. So the believer in Christ is an ambassador. If you're taking notes, I gave an outline in your bulletin today. But we need to ask some questions. What is an ambassador? What does this title mean? Well, I'm going to give you two two, uh, kind of definitions of it. Number one, An ambassador is a a representative temporarily sent to a foreign land or a foreign country to represent the king or the president or the prime minister or the country that sent him or her. 
Secondly, an ambassador is an official representative who is authorized to speak on behalf of his sender. So I want you to think about that, what ambassador means. You see, in the world of politics and in international relations, the title ambassador is a very coveted one. In fact, people now serve years in government hoping to be rewarded with the title of ambassador. It is a high honor to be trusted by the government of your nation to be, fa- to be the face and voice of your nation somewhere in the world. Secondly, who are we as believers to be an ambassador for? If you look at our text today, verse 20, the believer is an ambassador for Christ. Christ ambassadors. I mean, talk about significance. <laughs> I mean, I want to tell you, when I won that, that tournament that day, I thought it was great. There's nothing great. I can't even hold a match to the fact that one day in 1975, I became Christ ambassador. <laughs> what a significant title and the responsibility that goes with that. As Jesus gathered with the 11 disciples on a mountain just prior to his ascension, he gave them what we call the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. And as Jesus spoke to his disciples, he said these words, All authority has been given to me on, in heaven and on earth. You see, if you are a true believer here today, you've been appointed by the highest authority to represent him, to represent Jesus Christ. Brings us to another question. To whom are Christ ambassadors to go to? If you're telling me, Pastor, that I'm an ambassador, then who do I go to? Well, our text again in verse 19, it says that we are sent by Christ into all the world. Jesus said in Mark 16:15, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. I wonder, are we doing that? Are we preaching the gospel? Are we living the gospel out? Are we living our faith out? Are we praying, Lord, give me opportunities and help me to be aware of the opportunities? I I really think God gives us a lot of opportunities. Lord, help me to be aware of those opportunities you give me to share Jesus with someone else. Just as a U.S. ambassador is sent to live in a foreign land and to represent the president or prime minister or the king who sent him, So believers, you realize we live in a foreign land. I don't know about you, but this is not my home. (laughs) I'm looking for a far greater home that's coming. So we live in a foreign land. Believers are citizens of heaven, it says in Philippians 3.20. And they represent their king, Jesus Christ, in this world that we live in, where we live, Peter says, as aliens and strangers. (laughs) Now, I love what it says in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, 8 through 10. And by the way, we're only here temporarily, aren't we? (laughs) I think some people think they're going to live here forever uh, in this world, but Christ is going to come back again and change this world. And I'm going to look forward to living in the new Jerusalem that's coming. And so in Hebrews chapter 11, 8 through 10, 
<clears throat> By faith, Abraham lived as an alien in the land of promise. I always think that's interesting. The promised land, he lived as an alien, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. <clears throat> for he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. You know, in the Roman Empire, there were two kinds of provinces. There was the senatorial province and the imperial province. The senatorial province in the Roman Empire, <clears throat> they were made up of people who were, who were peaceful. Uh, they were not at war with Rome. You see, they had come to surrender and submit to Rome. <laughs> so the emperor had no problem with those people. But in the imperial provinces, they were not peaceful. They were dangerous because they, were, they would often rebel against Rome. They wanted to be set free from the Roman yoke that they were under. And so it was necessary for Rome to send ambassadors into those imperial provinces to make sure that rebellion did not break out. Well, the Christian, <clears throat> who is Christ's ambassadors, were sent into this world of ours, this world, by the way, that is in rebellion against God, a world that is perishing without Christ. This world that we live in today is an imperial province as far as God is concerned because this world, apart from Christ, we are in rebellion against God. If you're not a believer here today, dear friend, you hate God. <laughs> you probably say, no, I don't hate God. Oh, yeah, you do. You don't have the capacity to love God. And he has sent, Jesus has sent his ambassadors into the world to declare peace, not war. That there is peace in Jesus Christ. That we can come to have peace with the living God through Jesus Christ. And of course, to scorn or mistreat an ambassador is to scorn and mistreat the government or the president who sent him. You see, ambassadors speak totally for the one who sent him or her. He is the king's mouthpiece. <clears throat> Dear friend, as you share the gospel with others, if people reject your message, remember they're rejecting Jesus. God has placed the believer in this world, this foreign land, and you've been assigned by the highest authority to represent Jesus in a specific place. It begins at home. We have Father's Day today. When I came to faith in Christ, I didn't realize, I knew my mom was saved. She lived her faith out. She talked about Jesus. She, she was the one who was the spiritual leader. My, I didn't know. I guess when you're not saved, you don't realize. I, I knew my mom was saved, but when I became saved, I realized my dad wasn't. My dad went to church, but he wasn't saved. I never heard my dad talk about Jesus. Never saw my dad read the God's word. I never saw my dad pray. And so I realized that 
I didn't realize it at the time because I, you know, I was a young Christian, but literally I was Christ's ambassador to my home. So was my mom. I had two sisters, too, that I wasn't sure if they knew the Lord either. So I began to pray for them. But we are an ambassador to our families, to our neighborhood where we live in, the school you go to, the college you attend, the place where you work. When you go off to work, do you think about the people who you work around? Do they know Jesus? That God wants you to be ambassador to look for those opportunities to share Jesus with them? How about the store where you shop as you meet people? See, the believer is Christ's ambassador is right where you are. And the believer doesn't have a choice. If you're sitting here today and say, well, Pastor, I don't know if I want to be that. You don't have a choice. If you are in Christ, if you are a believer, it says in verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. The people all around us who are lost, who need the Lord, will either understand will either understand his life-saving message or they will miss his life-saving message based upon what you say or what you don't say or how you live. See, someone's eternity may depend upon what kind of ambassador you turn out to be. So what is the message of an ambassador for Christ? Another question. Well, I believe in verses 18 and 19, it simply is that our message is to be a ministry and word of reconciliation. And I believe that that ties, that is equal to the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's really what the ministry of reconciliation is. You see, the, the ambassador's ministry is one of reconciliation. So we need to ask one more question. What does reconcile mean? Well, I gave two definitions. First of all, it means to change thoroughly. Secondly, to restore to friendship or to restore what has been broken. Sometimes in my almost 40 years of ministry, there are marriages that need to be reconciled. There are individuals in a church that need to be reconciled. But you know, the greatest reconciliation that is needed is between the sinner and God. We need to be reconciled to God. I want you to think about that definition, to, to be changed thoroughly. Only God can do that. I can't do it. Only God can do that as the Holy Spirit works through the Word. Going all the way back to Adam and Eve when they disobeyed God and they ate of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that very day they ate of it, they were separated from God. Sin entered into this world. <clears throat> Their perfect relationship was broken with God. And since the fall, every human being is lost. We are spiritually dead. We're at enmity with God. I hear so often today people say, well, so-and-so is such a good person. <laughs> I don't think anybody's good. <laughs> Only God is good. And I see that we are evil to the core. <laughs> we are dead without Christ. 
But God in his great love provided a remedy for our sin. And that remedy was Jesus Christ. One of the young children today said Jesus died on the cross. That was God's remedy for our sin. And, and as an ambassador of Christ, what, what motivates you? What, what should motivate you to share with someone else about Jesus? Isn't it the love of God? Isn't it the love of Christ? The day that I became saved, I couldn't help, I, I couldn't wait to get up the next morning to go to that work that I thought was kind of monotonous. But my whole view changed the moment that Christ changed my life. I wanted to know, do those workers that I work with, do they know Jesus? I, I wanted to tell them what Jesus had done in my life. It was the most exciting thing that has ever happened to me. And I still love sharing my testimony. It was the love of Christ that God placed within me. I wanted others to know Him. I wanted others to be saved. I wanted my dad to be saved. I wanted my sisters to be saved. As we think about reconciliation today, I want us to think about it objectively and subjectively. And let me explain what I mean here. First of all, objectively. Reconciliation objectively means that the world has been reconciled to God. Verse 19. It says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. When did this take place? It was at the cross. This means that through Christ's death on the cross, he took all of our sins and he paid for them with his precious blood. And he satisfied God's wrath against our sin. God canceled our debt on his ledger. He blots it out with Christ's blood. First Peter 3.18 For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God. He gave a son to die for the world. And please note that God is never reconciled to us. God never needs to change. The Bible says he changes not. It's me that needs to change. It's you that need to change. You see, the trouble today in our world is, is with the world. The trouble is with us. The trouble is with what our sins have made us. That's the trouble. We hear so much about today with all the shooting that goes on in our world today that we need to have some gun control. But you know what? <laughs> the guns are not the problem. The heart needs to be changed by the grace of God. They need to hear the gospel. They need to hear the law and gospel. When Jesus Christ from the cross said, it is finished, he did all that was necessary for our sins, for the sins of the world. He paid it all. And you see, this changed the whole world of people in its objective relationship to God. Because of Christ's finished work, the sins of the whole world have been paid for. He's not going to come back and do it again. 
He said, it is finished. It's a done deal. Objectively, the whole world is reconciled to God. But don't misunderstand what I'm saying. That doesn't mean that the whole world is saved. See, that brings us to the subjective reconciliation. You see, every sinner must undergo a subjective change to be personally changed in our heart, which is the work of the Holy Spirit through the Word. You see, each sinner must see his or her sin and how sin condemns us to hell. I sat in church for many years as an unsaved person, and I tell you that there were Sundays I was convicted. <laughs> but I, many Sundays I went out of the church. I said, no, I, you know, I was, I was, mang- I was mad at the pastor. <laughs> I thought at times he was speaking right to me, and I thought, how did he know I was doing those things? And I would go out of the church unchanged, and I was really hardening my heart. But then another, maybe two Sundays later, he would, he would speak to me again. That was the law at work. And I heard the gospel too, which tells us what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, how much Jesus loves us, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but be reconciled to God, be saved, and have everlasting life. Repentance of sin and placing our faith in Jesus Christ results in salvation, forgiveness, and everlasting life. It is all God's work, by the way. To every believer, as Christ's ambassadors, God has committed the word of reconciliation. Literally, God deposited in our charge. If you're a believer here today, God has literally placed in your charge the word of reconciliation. And dear friend, if he has done that, we dare not alter it. We dare not change it. We dare not soften the word. Sometimes people soften it and say, well, you know, I know what the Bible says, but, you know, I I have people that in my home congregation or my congregation I was serving who was very strong and let's say homosexuality. And all of a sudden someone in the family came out as being gay or You know, and all of a sudden they kind of soften their approach. We do not soften what God's Word says. The Word of God says it's a sin. And we point them to Jesus where there's healing and forgiveness. An ambassador is absolutely responsible to his King, Jesus Christ. And woe to him if we forget that. It's a daunting task, isn't it? When I come to preach... And this, you know, being here in this church, it's, it's new. Again, I, you know, you get comfortable. But every time I stepped into the pulpit, I was nervous. Because I was handling God's word. And I wanted to handle it with truth. I mean, with truth and purity. I, I wanted to handle it accurately. But I'm so thankful that when Jesus said to his disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What else did Jesus promise? He said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am not alone. 
I know that Jesus is with me. He lives in my heart. I have the Holy Spirit dwelling within me. I have the power of God's word. And I always tell people, don't underestimate the power of God's word. The Holy Spirit works through that word, and it can change lives. There are a lot of things the church could do in this world that we live in. There's a lot of things the church could do as a social institution. But I believe, dear friend, that our priority as a church is the Great Commission. It is spreading the gospel so that sinners can be saved, sinners can be reconciled to God, and that believers can be brought to spiritual maturity through discipling. You see, everything else we do, worship, giving, prayer, service, while they are all important, they should be in service to that one mission, and that is spreading the gospel. The church is not called to be a political force. (laughs) The church is not called to be a social force, although I think we can, yes, we can impact those areas as we seek to live as salt and light. But the priority of a Christian as an ambassador for Christ is an eternal one, and that is the saving of souls for eternity. Brothers and sisters in Christ, there is no higher calling, there is no greater privilege, there is no more urgent task than the ministry of reconciliation that God has entrusted to you. This is your greatest priority, no matter what vocation God has placed you in. So I ask you, what kind of an ambassador have you been? I want to share, as I close today, <clears throat> with a true story. When I graduated from high school in 74, I went to work in a creamery. It, you might say most creameries aren't even operating anymore. But see, my dad was a manager of a creamery for 26 years. So it kind of came natural for me to go and work in a creamery. And there was an opening at Rindall, Minnesota. I'm not sure if any of you know where Rindall is, but it was a huge town of 10 people. (laughs) It was a little grocery store and a creamery. And I went to that creamery and I worked there for about a year. And it was during that time that um, I became saved. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. While I was there working, before I was even saved, a good friend of mine from McIntosh, who was not a Christian, uh, and I wasn't a Christian yet, but he was dating a girl, and he asked me, he said, how how about going on a double date? Now, if you knew me, I'm a very shy person. I had never dated anybody in high school. I liked girls, but I was scared of them. (laughs) Um, So, and that's probably a good thing, too. but I, I finally got up a nerve to ask the secretary of the creamery. She had, a, she had a daughter who was a senior in high school. And, of course, I was just one year out of high school. So I asked her one day, would you, would you like to go out on a date? And she said yes. And so we went on a date. This is not the high school. My wife is not that high school <laughs> senior. Um, but we went, and we went to a movie, and we did that twice, double date. I was more comfortable double dating. And... Went to a movie each time, brought her home, and that was about it. Shortly after that, I became saved. And that night, I became saved. The next day, I went off to work. And I thought, I I, I want to share what Jesus has done in my life. I had a boss. 
a secretary, another elderly man that worked in the creamery, and there was a guy that worked on the milk truck. I thought, I need to share with them. And so I prayed for opportunities in the weeks following that I would be able to sit down one-on-one just to share what Jesus had done in my life, and he could do the same in their life. And so God gave me that opportunity, and I... And I shared my faith, and then I said, I need to share that with this, this girl I dated twice. <laughs> she lived right next to the creamery, and so one day I talked to her. <clears throat> she told me, she said, well, I go to church. I said, well, just going to church doesn't save you. I said, you need to have Christ in your life. and that. So I, I can't remember the whole conversation, but I kind of left it at that, and then shortly after that I applied for Bible school. It was not Bible college at that time, was the Bible school, and I was accepted. And so I quit the work there, went off to Minneapolis, and within the first week at Bible school, there was an LEM conference. I'm not sure some of you older ones here might remember the LEM, Lutheran Evangelistic Movements. And it was being held that week in St. Paul Civic Center, I believe, and they needed counselors. And so, you know, I'm, I'm just a very young Christian. <laughs> a few months of, of following Christ, and they needed counselors. And so somebody came to us, and Joel Rolfe, who's a pastor now, he was my roommate. And they came up to both of us and said, hey, would you like to be a counselor at the LEM movement? And I first of all, I said, what is a counselor? <laughs> I didn't know what it was. And I was, I was scared. I, I thought, no, I can't do that. Well, the person said, do you remember how you came to salvation? I said, well, yeah, I was there. <laughs> I remember that. Well, that's how others come to salvation, too. I said, well, yeah, maybe I could do that. So I remember still, like it was yesterday, going to St. Paul Civic Center. And when we got there, the person said that was going to speak, they said, we'll do an altar call. And as we're doing an altar call, we want all of you counselors to come to the front. Just face the altar and be in prayer. And so but. I can follow that. And as they give the call, if people come forward, then there's a room over here. We'd like you to take an individual over and talk to them about the Lord and maybe pray with them. <clears throat> I have to admit that as, I, as that song began to be played, I think it was probably just as I am without one plea, I went up, I closed my eyes, I stood there with the other counselors, I was praying. And honestly, I believe I prayed, Lord, don't send anybody to me because I don't want to mess this up. You know, because I didn't really know as a young Christian if, if I was doing things right. I'll never forget that as I gave the altar call, I heard people coming. I still had my eyes closed. And there were some people crying. God had touched their heart. And I remember when the pastor was done and all of us as counselors, we opened our eyes and Guess who was standing next to me? Uh, the girl I had dated twice. From Rindall, Minnesota. I didn't know that she was going to be there. She didn't know I was going to be there. Was it just coincidence? No, I believe it was a divine appointment. And uh, she was broken. God had come to restore her 
to right, a right relationship with God. She prayed that night, confessed her sins, and asked Jesus to come into her heart. That night, that gal became reconciled to God. I wrote a couple letters later encouraging her to be in the Word, to get into a Bible-believing church, and to maybe get into a Bible study with uh, some other young people. But after those two letters, I, I I have never seen her again. I hope that someday I'll see her in heaven. You see, dear friend, as I close today, there is such an urgency of reconciliation. Notice what Paul says in verse 20. Therefore, we, believers, are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were entreating through us. Think about when you go to someone, God is entreating through us. God is working through us. And then Paul says, we beg you. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. If you're here this morning, and if you're not saved, then I beg you, I plead with you to be reconciled to God, to surrender to Jesus, and let him cleanse you and forgive you from all your sin and guilt. Notice our opening verses today for our call to worship from Ephesians chapter 6, where we find Paul in prison, in chains. And notice what he said. He said, I am an ambassador in chains. You know, someday we might find ourselves in prison for our faith. But you know what? You won't stop being an ambassador. You will be an ambassador in chains. And notice what Paul asked the people to pray about. Paul didn't say, pray that I get out of here. Paul said, pray that I might speak boldly the mystery of the gospel. Wow. An ambassador. I asked my wife one day when I was working on this message, do you know any United States ambassadors? Do you? Do you know how many ambassadors we have that represent the United States? Do you know any of them by name? I couldn't name any. My wife did name one. If you go on the website, there is a host of ambassadors. But very few people know their names. But you know what? In those countries, people will know that that is an ambassador for the United States. You see, dear friend, what I'm saying here in closing is, why did I start with the opening about the tennis? Because nobody remembers that. And dear friend, as a Christian, as an ambassador for Jesus, I don't care if people remember me. (laughs) I want them to know Jesus. That's the most important thing of all. We're not here to make a name for ourselves or bring glory to ourselves. We are here to point people to Jesus Christ. That they might know him as their Savior and Lord. That's all that matters. That's why I like the, leg, the uh, I think, a contemporary Christian song. I think it's called Legacy. I don't care if they remember me, only Jesus. I don't care if people remember me. You know, in fact, when I die, maybe one or two generations, nobody will know who I was. 
But I hope that I have been an effective ambassador, that others will know Jesus Christ, and someday we will know each other in heaven and spend that eternity with our Savior. So what kind of an ambassador are you? Because someone's eternity may depend upon what kind of an ambassador you tune out to be. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful, Lord, today for saving my soul. I thank you, Lord, for the gracious work you've done in the hearts and lives of so many here today. But, Lord, if there are people here today who do not know you, I pray that they'd realize that without Jesus Christ, they are on a road that's going to lead to hell. And, Jesus, you loved us so much, you came to save us from the wrath to come. Lord, you want us to be reconciled, to be made thoroughly to be changed, to be restored. And only you, God, can do that through the work of your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, may you do that work. And, Lord, I pray that every believer here today, you would help us to be that effective ambassador for you, to be the the mouth, the voice of Jesus. Dear God, help us to see this world the way you see it, a lost world that needs to hear about Jesus. So help us, Lord, use us this week that lies before us. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.